This is the War on Waste Paradox, Chapter 19, by Lynn Bertain, read by Lynn Bertain. This is Part 2. At the end of the day, Mr. Grimes and Mr. Thompson caucused in the conference room. Pizza was warming in the truck that was parked outside. We waited, and Mr. Grimes and Mr. Thompson came down the aisle to the back dock. Buck had prepared a podium for their presentation. Everyone assembled in front of the podium, and Mr. Grimes began. I would like to thank all of you for putting in such fine effort to get your materials ready for these presentations. There really were no bad presentations. In fact, they were all quite good. Hank Thompson will make the announcement. Hank and Mr. Grimes greeted him with a handshake as he approached the podium. Mr. Thompson began. I must admit that I've had to spend some days doing a lot of boring things, but not today. This was probably the most exciting time I've had in business for an awful long time. You were all marvelous. You had such great enthusiasm for your work and your confidence of your future success is most encouraging. As many of you know, I have the largest investment in quality pump of any of Mr. Grimes' bankers. I have a vested interest in seeing you succeed. Right now, my comfort level is very high. If you implement the projects you've proposed, Mr. Grimes and my stockholders will be very happy. By the way, I really enjoyed working with you in solving my problem. I guess that I will leave Jack Elby to educate my people just as he did you. My eyes were open today. Thanks again for your help. Now for the winners or losers. Basically for the winners. Everyone looked around. There was only supposed to be one winner. Mr. Grimes and I couldn't decide on one project, so we decided on two. Mr. Thompson didn't waste any time. We liked the new project proposed by Class 1 and the assembly project of Class 5. We liked both of them because if you implement them both, you'll be able to apply the concept of cells to other projects projects, and other products. I can see the real possibilities in inventory reduction, lead time reduction, quality improvement, and Roland Diamond's coronation. Many of us laughed. Our class was the only group that really understood. Mr. Thompson caught on and really explained, I understand this design will make Roland a lot of money on commissions, and that's good. That is what the whole concept is about, making money for everybody. Everybody clapped, but Mr. Thompson wasn't finished. Doesn't anyone want to know about my project? Everyone was more interested in pizza. They really couldn't care less about Mr. Thompson's project. But they understood that he had taken a day to spend with us, and we could afford to give him a few more minutes. Let me say that we came up with a good solution. As I understand it, you are recommending that each loan document for each person requesting a loan of over $500,000 get a separate treatment by the staff. The income tax forms will go through one path. The loan application will go through another. Each separate loan document's path will have value-added signatures. 
There will also be people who need to know about some information. They will only get the copies of those documents they need. And finally, when the last document is still not in from the client, we will we will be in our to- on our toes waiting. As soon as it hits as in that last document hits the bank, we will process it within 24 hours. And that, my friends, is a marvelous solution. We'll be able to promise customers that if they get all their information in, we can promise them a loan approval or rejection within 24 hours. Someone in the back of the bank said, Mr. Thompson, make sure the idea comes from the people, not you. That way it'll be their idea. Mr. Thompson laughed and stepped back from the podium. He gained his composure and said, you know, I have to admit that before today I probably wouldn't have done what you suggested, but now I will. Thank you very much again. I loved it. Good luck. And I'll stop by in a couple of weeks to see how you guys are doing. Everyone clapped again and immediately turned to the pizza, which had been brought into the room. Mac and Dr. Elby were over-talking to Mr. Thompson when Phil came up. Phil shook hands with Mr. Thompson, and they were apparently getting ready to take on a job with Mr. Thompson's bank. Dr. Elby and Mr. Grimes headed up to the front offices and ended up in Mr. Grimes' office. As they sat down, Dr. Elby reached into its briefcase and pulled out five annual reports. He placed them neatly in front of Mr. Grimes and then sat down. They were opened opened to the letter from the chairman to stockholders. Mr. Grimes picked up one and looked at Dr. Elby. What's this about? I see you have circled a phrase on this one, Dr. Elby asked, and what does it say? Mr. Grimes responded, it says, people are our most important asset. Dr. Elby asked again, what does the next one say? People are our most important asset. And he picked the other three annual reports and repeated the same thing. So what does that tell you, Mr. Grimes? Mr. Grimes responded, these five companies are telling their shareholders that people are their most important asset. Dr. Elby handed Mr. Grimes another piece of paper, and what does that say? Mr. Grimes noted, it says that the five companies that are telling their shareholders that their people are their most important asset have laid off over 200,000 people. And Dr. Elby stood up and went over to the window. So, John, tell me this. Did any of those companies sell any of their less important assets? You know, John, the ones that are less important than their most important asset? Mr. Grimes looked again over at the annual report. It might take me a minute or two, but I guess you know the answer, right? Yes, I do. So what can we say here? Mr. Grimes started to smile. I guess we could create a paradox here that says something like this. If corporations tell their market that people are their most important asset, why do they insult the employees by saying that when their actions say otherwise? Dr. Elby smiled. John, you're getting there. Let's push that through a little further, thought a little further. What more can we say? What is this statement really telling you 
if you were one of the employees? Well, you know what it tells me. It tells me that they don't respect their employees. Dr. Alvey punched a fist in the air. Bingo. Now, what can we say? You know, this feels like the old Swami at the carnival when I was a kid. You'd pay your money, and he would look into the crystal ball, and your future would be clear to him, and he would say something stupid about your future. Here I think he could say that I have a clear view of the paradox, and it might read, corporations say that their people are the most important asset, but then turn around and not respect them. Dr. Elvey began, John, I know this has been a tough mental exercise for you, but trust me, you will appreciate what we have gone through. You've made the connection yourself. I'm not sure that this is the best way to phrase it or if it is getting better. Someone may end up with a better version of this, but let's stick with this for now and see what happened. Now, when you look at those other corollary paradoxes, you can see how they relate to this one. You'll have fun in the future because every time that you see one of those paradoxes in your business, and there will be more, you'll always go back to this master paradox. By the way, write down these corollary paradoxes as they come up and see how many we really find. I bet you there are a lot. And Dr. Helby Elby headed for the door. He turned back to Mr. Grimes and asked, How about a beer at the shanty? An anchor steam might taste pretty good right about now. Mr. Grimes followed him out, and they headed over to the shanty. As they left, Calvin and I were standing over by the CRB results board when I looked up at the board. Someone had put a sign up on the bulletin board in big letters. Darth Vader lives. He really is human. It had been done on a Mac, and I knew immediately who had done it. I smiled at Calvin. He had no clue. These are the insights of chapter 19. We'd finally discovered the master war on waste paradox. I had noticed a number of years ago that there was a certain disconnect between the rhetoric of CEOs in their annual reports and the basic respect that they were showing to these valuable assets, in fact. One disconnect was that the people off payroll or POP's approach to cost reduction. The other was not listening to the input that these valuable assets could, could, prov could provide these companies. As I have delivered the war on waste for over 25 years, that was what I wrote, it's actually over 30 years now, I have watched CEOs become shocked as their employees dissected their companies with laser precision as they developed and presented their proposals to management. Many CEOs were flabbergasted that their employees could be so smart. Others knew the talent was there but didn't want to spend the time to fix their companies. The observation of the war on waste paradox has given me a chance to revisit the story that I originally wrote over 17 years ago. I made several modifications, but the story still stands up as a good example of what happens when we do, on the, do the war on waste. I hope you've enjoyed it. Stay tuned for the conclusion. Thank you very much.